0: As we said last week, there are different preferences at Christmas time, and so I ask you this morning again: Are you someone who likes to have only white lights on your Christmas tree and decorations, or do you like multicolored lights? You know, we're kind of divided in our house. So Sarah's got all the white lights out front that all of you see, but I put some multicolored lights in the back. So I mean, you don't see that one unless you come to our back door. But that's how we uh, take care of that uh, compromise. But uh, how do you decorate? Now, what side are you on? And when it comes to Christmas movies, are you more of a, it's a wonderful life, you're old school, you identify with the Bailey family, not this Bailey family, but this Bailey family in the movie. Or are you more in line with the Griswold family and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? Maybe that's more your speed. Now, are you a more traditional Christmas movie or more contemporary Christmas movie. And when it comes to Christmas, are you a white Christmas person? You love the cold, you love the snow, you love how it feels like Christmas, or are you someone who wouldn't just mind being in the Caribbean or Hawaii or somewhere warm for Christmas? I tell you today, I'd love to be down in Jamaica somewhere, enjoying the sand on the beach instead of this cold rain that we have today. But there's different people who like Christmas different ways. Isn't it true? And isn't it true this year especially, we have learned that there is great division and divide about how to deal with a pandemic. There's no doubt about that and how to deal with all the politics that came in an election year. But what I loved about this slide here is that you have these fictitious uh, editorials. Of course, the cat and dog didn't write these, okay? I mean, I think you hope you know that, right? But anyway, uh, I imagine dogs have loved it that their owners have been home. And so the dog is saying, why not work from home forever? You know, the dogs have loved it. On the other hand, the cats have hated it. You know, now these humans are invading their space. These humans need to go back to work and get out of here. And so in this humorous way, it illustrates our serious divisions that we have had This year, over politics, over pandemic, over masks, over restrictions, over all of this. And it's true that not only in election years or in pandemic years, that there are serious divisions, not just over Christmas movies, but over uh, divisions in family and even divisions in churches, which should be the last place that we would have disagreement or division. If we are to be united in Christ and love like Christ loves, you would think the church would be a place where there is no division. But isn't it true that often in churches, that's where the division sometimes is the most passionate. Because I think sometimes we feel like we're fighting over things that are life or death. Although often, even in the, all of church history, those life or death issues and struggles, in hindsight, really weren't all that much life and death. You know, Paul wrote to a church that was deeply divided. Uh, They were divided over morality. Some of the church celebrated the fact that there was someone in the church living in immorality. They saw themselves as open-minded and and liberal and welcoming them in. And others were aghast that there would be sin in their church. And they were divided over how to use the spiritual gifts. Some wanted to show them off and, and others more reserved. And they were fighting over how Paul himself, whether he was to be an apostle that was to be lifted up or he was just a guy that did a lot of talk and couldn't do much else. To this church in Corinth that was divided, Paul said to them two things. He says to them first, hey, look, you are all unique Christians gifted by God, but you're one body. So he says, come on, guys, you're one body. Why are you fighting when you are one? But more than that, he says, what you need to focus on is love. And love is what erases divisions, disagreements. Love brings unity and brings peace. Paul tells us what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to read part of it this morning to you because sometimes I feel like we only hear it at weddings anymore. Okay, But this is what Paul says. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. And it does not keep record of wrongs. Those are all the things there that love is not. And I'm always struck, especially by that phrase, keeps no record of wrongs. Paul continues, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. When we come to the Christmas story, it's all about God's love for us. We all know John 3.16. If you've been to church more than two Sundays, you know this verse. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That's the story of Christmas. The story of God's love. That God loved us in this way. He gave us a gift. He gave us his son. It's Jesus, born in Bethlehem. This is what we are celebrating. And what we are celebrating is an act of love of God. Think about how God's love brought all these different people together who should have been divided when we look at the Christmas story. Let's go to its beginning and think of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, both who have miraculous children. Zechariah and Elizabeth in old age Mary a virgin birth. They share that in common, but other than that, they're from completely different places in society. Zechariah is a priest. His wife, Elizabeth, from a priestly family. Joseph, a carpenter. Mary, uh, poor as well. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, old, Mary and Joseph, young. Yet in the Christmas story, they are brought together, as we saw last week when Mary came to see Elizabeth. Old, young, priestly, common, united in the love for miraculous children. What about when the angel and then the host of angels tell about the birth of Christ? The exalted angels from heaven The opposite, the humble, lowly shepherds. Yet they are brought together in the announcement of the birth of the Messiah, Christ the Lord. News of great joy to all people. They are brought together. And when the shepherds go to the manger, isn't it true that there in the manger are animals? I They're in the stable and there are shepherds, humans, animals. To include the angels, think about it. The beings, all of them that God has created. Heavenly beings, human beings, animal beings. All of them there together. Because the love of God has come to Bethlehem. And the love of God in Jesus Christ is laying there in a manger. Bringing all of them together. And let's talk about the, the wise men. When they came... They were wealthy, bringing gifts of frankincense, gold, and myrrh to a poor family. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But more than that, the wise men were Gentiles. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, Jews. And so they are brought together because of this child, Jesus. I think it was Patti Smith who put on Facebook this week, if three wise women came, their gifts would have been diapers and formula and casseroles. And so maybe there's some truth to that, right, ladies? Those would have been uh, maybe better gifts than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But anyway, I hope you see in this whole Christmas story from beginning to end, the center of it, of course, is Jesus. But he is the gift of God's love. And that brings together young and old, priestly and common. It brings heavenly beings and lowly animals and shepherds together. It brings Gentiles and Jews together, rich and poor together. The divisions broken down, unity brought because of the love of God and the gift of Jesus. You've probably heard as many sermons about love as you've heard about Christmas, and maybe even more. And so even as a pastor, it's hard to say something more about love that you haven't heard or something more about Christmas that you haven't heard. So maybe this morning you won't hear anything new. Maybe it will be a reminder of something you already knew that you need to do now that you had forgotten or you've gotten out of the habit of doing. Because when we talk about love, isn't it true that we use that word In so many ways. You know, if you were to say, I love you, to your grandma, to your sister, uh, to your mother, to your wife. It wouldn't mean the exact same thing. I certainly hope it wouldn't mean the exact same thing if you said that to all of them. But you say the same words. And isn't it true that we use those words even when we talk to our dog? When we talk to our bowl of ice cream? Don't we say, I love ice cream? Well, I certainly hope when you say, I love ice cream, and you say, I love my wife, it's not the same thing. Yet we use the same word. Love, four letters, L-O-V-E. We use it to say so much. And so because we use it to say so much, sometimes it's hard to understand what it means when God says, I love you. And he says to love others as I have loved you. Because we use that word in so many different ways. So I want to help you understand what God is saying when he talks about his love for us. And how we are to love. So let's think about in the Greek language of the New Testament. They didn't use just one word to describe these different types of love. They used multiple words. So in fact they had a word eros which is romantic love. That word's not used in the New Testament, but it is an important aspect of love, right? Husbands and wives, that's a very important part of a marriage relationship, is eros, love. In the New Testament, there's three words for love that are used. One of them is phileo, which is a brotherly love or a sisterly love, a friendship. Here's an example. When Jesus is told about Lazarus, his friend who is dying. The sisters say to him when he meets them, excuse me, they send a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. In other words, Jesus, your friend, the one you love as a friend, is sick. And when Jesus cried, the Jews who were there saw it, and they said, see how he loved him. Uh, the friendship between Jesus and Lazarus was obvious. That was a phileo love. You know how it is to love a friend. To have someone close to you that you probably share common interest and in, someone that you share life together with. You hopefully have many friends here in this church because you share a faith and you share a goal in life to be Christ-like and you do that together as you share life. That is a deep love. It's a friendship type of love. It's also used when we talk about things we like, like ice cream. Here in this example, though, it's not ice cream, it's what the Pharisees liked. Whenever you pray, Jesus said, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues. So this word, I guess if you're going to say in Greek, I love ice cream, this is the word you would use. It's something that you love to do, you like to do, and there's an example of it. There's another word, storge, which is more of a family love. And isn't it true that our immediate family we love in a special way that is a little bit different from how we have close friendships? Although, don't we often say uh, you love someone like a brother? Uh, Because it is true that you can have close friends that are just like family to you, especially if your family's lousy. And so if you have a lousy family, you have people outside your family that are your brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, even grandma and grandpas. Those are parent figures to you. So here's an example. Paul says in Romans 12, 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another, showing honor. So among us as Christians, we are to love each other as though we were blood brothers and sisters. And in a sense, we are. We are saved by the blood of Christ. And that has brought us into a family with God the Father, our Father, and God the Son, Jesus, our brother. We're family. So we are to love each other as family. But the other word that's used is agape. And it's a godly love. I do want to say this, especially phileo and and agape and, and storge, these sometimes are interchanged and they are synonymous. So the distinction isn't black and white. But nevertheless, the distinctions are helpful in understanding how we are to love like God loves. And we are told this is the essence of who God is, this kind of love. John tells us the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is a love that is unconditional and sacrificial. That is the essence of agape love. That's the essence of who God is. And it's shown to us in a simple verse in the sense of words, but very deep in what it means. Paul says in Romans 5:8. But God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You notice when God loved us? When we were sinners. That means his love is unconditional. That means he didn't wait for your act to get cleared up before he loved you. That means he didn't wait until you were holy to love you. He didn't wait until you were acceptable to love you. He loved you, He loved me, He loves everyone when we're at our worst. When we are sinners, when we reject Him, when we hate Him, when we're His enemies. That's when He loves us. That's why that love is unconditional. God doesn't say, I will love you when. He doesn't say, I will love you if. He says, I love you. No conditions. Also notice that His love is sacrificial. His love was shown to us in that He died for us. He gave His life. And when we think about giving a life, I know you probably have imagined how you would want to give your life for your spouse, for your children. If you had to, if you needed to, you say, yes, I would do that. But think about how God gave His life for all sinners. The worst, the vilest. He loves them and died for them. Would you be willing to die for a murderer, or a rapist, a, a racist, you know, a terrorist? Would you want to die for someone like that? God did. Jesus did. That's how he loves. That's how different his love is towards us than the love that comes naturally. You know, it's easy to love people that love you. Can't you do that? In fact, uh, Jesus even tells us, you know, anybody can do that. You go find that murderer, the rapist, the terrorist. You go find that person. That person can love someone who loves them. That is not hard to do whatsoever. What makes God's love and therefore Christian love unique and different is loving those who hate us. It's loving when we don't feel like loving. It's loving when it's not natural to love because it's not natural love, it's supernatural godly love that is in us and that it's expressed in how we treat other people. So notice how God says this love that's unconditional and sacrificial is to be how we are to love each other. Jesus said to his disciples, I give you a new command love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The love that the world's supposed to see is this unconditional, sacrificial love that we have for each other. And notice, it should mark us out. It should be different. The world sees erotic love all the time. It sees romantic love. It sees friendship love. It sees family love. The world sees that all the time. Do they see agape love? Nope. They don't see much of that, but they should see it all the time in the church. That's what should mark us as Christians, as the church, as the love that's unconditional and sacrificial. But it's just not for each other. This is supposed to be for everyone. Paul says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. So, this love extends not just to brothers and sisters in Christ, but to your neighbors, to strangers, yes, even to enemies, as Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God's love, unconditional and sacrificial, should mark who we are as we love each other, as we love our family, but also as we love everybody and even those who hate us, our enemies. That is what it means to love like God loves. I want to tell you how we can love that way. I think the first way we do that is to see people like God sees them. Isn't it true that we naturally Label people immediately when we see them. If you meet a stranger, I guarantee you within 10 seconds, you have already put a label on them because of what they look like, of what they sound like, sometimes even how they smell, okay? You do. You measure them up and say, well, they're rich or poor, uh, they're black or white, uh, they're, their clothes are nice or they're... Not nice. I mean, you look at them and you've already made a judgment. You've made categories. And then we do that also with people we already know. Think about it. You have people in categories in your life. These are people that I'm real close to. These people I, I'm not too close to. And these people I don't want to be close to. Okay, And... If I want something, I go to this person. If I need this, I go to that person. You have all these categories of people and labels of people, and that's what we naturally do. And so, what happens though when we do that is we start to mount, you know, we put people into categories, and these people get loved. These don't get as much love. These get no love. See how the love then is given to them based on the category, the label that they have. But that's not how God sees people. When He sees them, yes, He does see sinners but he has compassion on them. And when Jesus saw the, the Jews in his day and he saw that they were sinners, it says that he, he looked on them with compassion like a sheep shepherd does for a sheep. Because he saw that they were lost. He saw that they were wayward. They needed him. They needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior. So when we see people, we should see everyone as a special creation of God, unique in who they are, And we also should see them as someone who desperately needs a savior. And therefore have compassion on them. And therefore share the love of God and the word of God to them. That's how God sees everyone. That's how we should see everyone. And when you see people like that, then act in love like Jesus did. I'll just give you a few examples. Jesus befriended tax collectors and sinners. It was a scandalous thing. You know, the Pharisees would never even talk to, certainly not hang out with, certainly not have dinner with a tax collector like Zacchaeus or uh, anyone that they considered a sinner. They were great at creating categories and labels. And certain people they would not even get close to. Yet Jesus would. And he wouldn't just get close to them He would have dinner with them. He would talk to them. He would love them. And the people of his day, especially the religious leaders, could not understand it. And it drove the religious leaders crazy. But that's how God loves. He loves those whom the rest of the world often ignores. Because again, they've been put into a category. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman. Another scandal He was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. A good Jew would never talk to a Samaritan. He was a man, she was a woman. A good Jewish man would never talk to a good Jewish woman or certainly a Samaritan woman that wasn't in his family. Yet he did. When the disciples came back from going in town, they came back and they saw him talking to her and they couldn't believe it. Jesus, what are you doing? But he saw a woman who lived a sinful life. He made it clear to her. She knew it, he knew it. But he also knew that she desperately needed a, a Savior. And in that conversation at the end of, end of it, he gets to tell her, the Messiah, you're talking to him, I'm right here. And then she goes to the village. And because of her, because Jesus had that meeting with her, she's saved, a lot in the village are saved. And a, and a mini revival breaks out there in that town in Samaria. Because Jesus loved her. Also, Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan. You know it so well, I'm not going to repeat it for you. But remember in the story, the priest and the Levite, the one who should have helped, are the ones that passed by and ignored the guy laying in the ditch. It was a Samaritan. Again, someone you would never think would stop and help. But he was the one who showed love by helping someone in need. Again, it was a stranger. It was the enemy. But nevertheless, he loved him and cared for him. Jesus tells us to do likewise. And of course, Jesus died for us. You know, Pastor Brady mentioned the other Sunday, you know, which is uh, greater, which is better, Easter or Christmas? And you kind of think, well, I don't know. <laughs> it's really the uh, the different sides of one coin. Obviously, you cannot have Easter without Jesus being born. So therefore, Christmas is most important. But A baby being born is no big deal. That happens every day. So the fact that Jesus was born means nothing unless he dies and is resurrected from the grave. And so you can argue back and forth which one is greater, which one's better. That's a useless argument. But it shows us this, that from the very moment that Jesus was born, the focus was already on the cross. Just like in this picture, the shadow of the cross was there at the manger. Because the gift of love was the birth of Jesus. But the true gift of love was his sacrifice for our sin. And that's how he showed his love for us. And that's how he tells us to love others. To live sacrificially. This is my challenge for you. We as Christians fall into this trap of saying, I love everybody. Because God has told us to. So we say that. And what we usually mean by that is this, that I don't actively hate anyone. And that's true generally. I mean, most Christians generally don't want to go kill someone. They don't wish ill on anyone. They don't want to go and sabotage someone or go and do something bad to their family or their house. I would say most Christians generally don't hate anybody. But That doesn't mean that you love everybody. And that's what we've got to get past. Because we'll hear The command, love one another. We'll hear the command, love everybody. We'll hear the command, love our enemies. And we'll say, well, I don't have any enemies. You know, there's no one that I hate. And so our love then just becomes this sentimentality of not hating anyone. But did you see the love of God that we are to have is one that's unconditional and sacrificial. So who are you not loving because of conditions you have placed on your love for them? And who are you not loving because you're not willing to make any sacrifices for them? When we start making sacrifices in our love, when we start loving people that we don't want to love or that others don't love, then we're starting to have a love that is God-like and Christ-like. That's the love we have been called to love. Let's pray now that God will give us that love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift... You have given us at Christmas the gift of your Son. I thank you, Lord, you have made it clear to us in your word how we are to love. But, Lord, it is impossible for us to love like you love us. Unless, Lord, we yield to you and you fill us, Holy Spirit, and you change our hearts so that we can love like you. I pray for myself my brothers and sisters this morning that we would not have this simplistic idea of love that we don't hate anyone, therefore we love everybody. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see beyond that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see everyone in our lives with the eyes that you see them with. And I pray, Lord, that we would listen to you, Holy Spirit, when you move us and you tell us to love people with sacrificial love, unconditional love, and to act And to move and to do it. And Lord, I pray that we would be obedient in that and that we would see a change in our personal lives, the lives of our family, community, and this church where we see a true Christ-like love shown each and every day. So I pray for that, Lord. And I pray that especially here at Christmas when we do celebrate the gift of love in you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Stand with me, please, as we sing to close our service. I'll be with you at the back. If you have any need, you want me to pray with you, you want to make a commitment to the Lord, sure. God has spoken to you. So again, I know I tell you this almost every week because it's important every week. This isn't just a time to wrap up the service, not a time to start making a list of what you're going to do this afternoon. It's not a time to read words on a screen. It's time to say yes to God this morning. He has said something to you. If he hasn't said anything, then that's what you need to do right now is ask him, God, what I, I need to hear something. So hear something now or act on something he's already told you. That's what this time is for. So let's be obedient to the Lord as we sing, as we respond.